Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of The Articulate Fly. On this episode, I'm joined by Josh Miller of Trout Yeah Guide Service. Josh shares his journey from metal band drummer to competitive angler to U.S. youth team coach and everything in between. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. But before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. If you like the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. It really helps us out. And as we continue to create and distribute more diverse content, you may want to consider downloading our iOS or Android app. We organize our content by category so you can go straight to the content that interests you the most. The apps are free and the links are in the show notes. Alternatively, just search the Articulate Fly where you get your mobile apps. Now, on to the interview. Well, Josh, welcome to the Articulate Fly. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think we've had this one uh, in the hopper for a while. I think the last time we spoke about it was uh, at the 2019 Fly Time Symposium before COVID got everybody. Yeah, I think that was the last time that we've been talking about it a long time prior to that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, here we are. And before I forget, this was something that I don't think a lot of my listeners know, and probably a fair number of people that know you don't know. Uh, when I was doing research for the interview, I stumbled on the fact that you were a drummer in a metal band. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, man, being being a drummer and playing music was uh, an awesome part of my life. I did it for, I start, started in high school. Um, I remember meeting up, uh, it, it's crazy. We always meet people through, a, you know, a common avenue, which at the time was skateboarding, you know, and I met these guys and they're like, you, you happen to play drums? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. And, and we got together and played and, and then it uh, slowly grew fished our, our regional area i remember my first tour first in we, we fished like cincinnati ohio and then indiana kentucky um i remember first tour was on the weekend where i was supposed to get uh, a graduate i remember my wife saying at this time you know I, w- I was with my wife actually still at that time not married but dating of course and I remember she saying hearing my name uh you know at graduation i wasn't there i was playing a show and who knows where uh you know but Slowly it grew, and I got to travel around the country and, you know, do some regional tours and slowly became national tours and got to the point where I'd, you know, come home for a week and then go for 30 days, come home for another week and go for another 30 days just around the United States. Um, it's, it's crazy because I, I fly fished at the time. I fly fished prior to that, of course, and I would, I, I, I was the person who would book the tours. And I'd be like looking in, you know, Denver, Colorado or, or Vail, Colorado. So I could go fish Gore Creek and, you know, the Eagle River and, you know, and uh, fishing in Utah. And you know, I would start booking my our tour dates around fishing. And for those who know, usually where fishing is might not be, you know, a lot of metropolitan area with a lot of fans. And my band start realizing that and was like, hey, like, do you like fly fishing or do you like being in the band? <laughs> and, uh, you know, it kind of got to a point where I was like, you know what? I think I, I don't think I like fly fishing more. And, uh, that's kind of how I slowly faded away from the band and I uh, became a, a fly fishing crazed nut. Yeah. I imagine your, your band buddies got a little irked when someone did a Toby Keith request. They're like, dude, we're a metal band from Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, when people ask what kind of music you play, I just say headache music because that's the best way to describe it. Just heavy metal, having fun. Uh, yeah, it was a good, good, good life. 
Yeah, and you guys, you had a record deal too, right? Uh, yeah, we were signed to a record label. We did some some CDs. We, we actually kind of, you know, just for fun, put out like a little a, a vinyl too, which is kind of cool. And yeah, it was, it was awesome, man. It was, it was good, a good part of my life that I, I don't regret. And I, I'm, I'm happy I got to experience something in life that, uh, you know, like think about it. You, I pull into down the road, uh, you know, come into the venue at Nashville or, or Pensacola or Orlando and you see your band's name on the ticker and, you know, you see 50 kids outside waiting or hundred kids in line. You know, it's like, that's just so cool. You know, it's just a cool experience. So. Yeah, absolutely. So are there pictures floating around of you with like big metal hair and wearing eye makeup and stuff? <laughs> no, it wasn't, wasn't quite that kind, um, <laughs> but, but it's crazy, you know, saying that like I have other, uh, you, even, you know, one of my teammates is, is one of the best anglers out there. His name's Sean Crocker, incredible dude. You know, he's like, like I was in a, in a seventies or eighties metal band too. One of those hair bands. Like, That's so cool, man. You know, like, it, it, it's cool to see all the amount of fly fishermen played music. Yeah. Very neat. And, uh, who are some of the drummers that influenced you? Well, I guess back in, back when I was starting, um, there was, there was a, a, a church friend, um, his name is Josh Jacobs and his brother. I remember I'd go to his house and like go in the basement and there's this beautiful drum set. And I met, like, I remember my earliest days playing drums, I'd go and sit down on that thing. And it was just like the coolest. And, um, he played in a metal band in Pittsburgh too. And I would like, you know, go over to their house, to, like listen to them play. And, and that was a big influence for me for sure. And there's another guy, um, in a band, his name is Giuseppe. And he was definitely another big influence as well. So I definitely have some, you know, I, I had to think about that for a minute, but yeah, I definitely have some cool influences and, and they're good people too, you know, really nice quality, um, good people. And that, that helped too for, for good influence. Yeah. Very neat. And, you know, and we've talked about this before, but you know, it seems that there are a lot of musicians that are also fly fishers. And I was kind of curious if you had any thoughts on why you thought there were, you would find this overlap between musicians and fly fishermen. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's, uh, maybe the brain analyzes something different or, you know, maybe we're using a different proportion of the brain. Who knows? Maybe it's like some sort of hand-eye coordination or, um, you know, you think, I don't know. So yeah, I, I, I don't know, but I do definitely know that there's a lot of fly fishing friends who have played like my friend, Joe, who works, you know, works with me at, on our guy business. He was a guitarist for a lot of years and, um, my other friend, Sam, who fishes with me a lot, he's a guitar player. Yeah, I definitely say that there's a lot of musicians who, um, maybe not dying musicians, but just hobbyists or people that like to play music. And don't you play music too? Um, I used to, I don't, I don't, um, I don't anymore, but yeah, dude, I, I had the electric guitar in high school, played the piano, played the drums, played the clarinet. So I've done a little right. bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Um, but uh, unfortunately gave it up to become supposedly a responsible adult. That's <laughs> the house goes. Yeah, it is how it goes. <laughs> how it goes. Yeah. So, you know, on the fishing front, you know, you're a native Pittsburgher. Um, you know, what's your earliest fishing memory, Josh? Um, fishing. I remember as being a young, a young guy, my parents would put me, um, up in those streams in the North central Pennsylvania fishing for our state fish with the brook trout. I remember my, my mom and dad or just being with my dad and spending weekend after weekend after weekend, just exploring those little, little streams off of a stream, off of a stream. We even call them them drafts here in Pennsylvania. And I didn't even really know what that meant, but 
know, these streams that were so small and catching these little beautiful brook trout. Um, definitely spent a lot of my youngest memories and days doing that. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And so does that mean that you were kind of, you know, fly fishing from the beginning if you were chasing, you know, brook trouts on tributaries of tributaries of tributaries? Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad loved fly fishing then. Um, we did do some fin fishing too. Uh, we definitely would just like to explore and see what was out there. And we were always kind of just trying to hunt the next cool stream and cool spot. And that definitely like put a fire and passion in me. Like, cause my dad, my dad's so, so cool. If I'd be like, dad, like, this drives this many hours to go do something. You saw always the dad that's like, yeah, sure. son. like, let's go try it. And I think that like helped my entire nomadic lifestyle from the band to you know, touring to going fishing so many countries and States. And you know, that's kind of, yeah, but I guess that's kind of off topic, but yeah. <laughs> no, dude, every, everything's on topic. Um, and, and so, you know, if you were fly fishing from an early age, when did you get the competitive fly fishing age? Um, well, I didn't, I started fishing kind of competition style techniques and whoever doesn't understand that's kind of a strange thing to say, but you know, the European thing is kind of a, a technique that um, a lot of competitors use because it, it is good to catch, um, a good amount of fish, um, on most situations. And I started doing that style of technique, uh, I don't know, it was before I knew what competitions was. Um, my uncle Donnie kind of reignited me with fly fishing and those techniques a long, a long time ago. I remember I had, I don't know, I was pretty young, but I remember going with him and, and fishing some of those North central Pennsylvania, but more, more wild brown trout. Uh, and he kind of got me reintroduced. But the first time I saw a fly fishing competition, um, there was a, a, a dude from central PA. His name was Brian Doyle. Really, really nice guy. Uh, he kind of invited me to, to learn about it and, I was fishing on the little J one time, um, lot, you know, a lot of years ago. And, um, I saw a, a competition going on and I was like, Whoa, what is that? And I kind of went up and, and they're like, Hey, you want to like help? And I was like, I'd love to, to kind of see what's going on. Cause it's kind of interesting. And I remember the, the, that day, like what the first person I ever really judged was his name was Calvin Kalos. And, you know, now Calvin and I are, you know, am- amazing friends and he shares, responsibility he's the head coach of the usu team and i'm you know his his helper and you know it's just kind of cool to see like back then i didn't know this crazy dude on the stream and now he's like one of my best friends you know like it's kind of neat um but that's kind of what like got me into the competition kind of seeing that and seeing the and learning like you know i saw this dude doing really well and like he came over and was like hey look look here take these flies this is what works and this is what i'm doing and, and it was like wow like these guys are, are good. Um, you know, the camaraderie is awesome. They're like-minded dudes trying to succeed and figure out techniques and see, you know, like figure this puzzle out of fly fishing. Um, and that, that kind of really intrigued me. And I, I don't know. And just the, the, the want to learn and, and, and get, be the best that can be. Yeah. And so how long after that experience did you decide that you wanted to fish competitively? Um, so I decided if I'm just going to do this, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Cause that's how I kind of am with everything. I like to put it all out there. And I, I practiced a, a good year, year and a half to do my first competition. Um, and then I, I jumped into the first one and I remember take, you know, taking second place on the first one. And I was like, okay, like this is cool. I can do this. You know, this is pretty cool. Um, 
Yeah. And, and was that Josh, the light bulb moment for you where you're like, I can be an elite angler as a competitive angler? Well, um, well, I still don't really consider myself an elite angler, but I, I think that's the first time I was like, okay, I think I can hang with, hang with these dudes and, you know, kind of, uh, do well enough to enjoy that aspect of it. Cause I am, a, you know, some, some people just like fly fishing for being outside, being in the water. And I like that as well. But I, sometimes I like to, you know, win. I'm just, that's just kind of my nature as a person. Um, so, so I, I like to know that I was able to and going in and doing well, was kind of that, that fuel to, to keep on pushing forward. Got it. And so, you know, it's funny too, that you say this, cause just as a footnote folks, um, there are only 15 slots at any time on fly fishing team USA. And, um, Josh did a couple tours of duty. So he's being a little modest when he says he didn't, doesn't think of himself as an elite angler. Cause that's for sure elite. So, um, oh, I appreciate that. Oh gosh. Um, I'm just, you, you know, just trying to, to teach your horn for you a little bit there. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, as you were kind of building your toolbox as a competitive angler, you know, what was the most difficult part of your competitive fishing game for you to perfect? Dude, that, you know, like a lot of people would, you know, be like, oh, what is it like dry dropper? Or is it like, you know, when a fish is doing this or that, you know, those all things are, are, are kind of come with time and are kind of, it's situational and it's fishing's fishing. For me, the hardest part of my competitive game was my mental game. That was the hardest part for me because I would get, I would get, um, you know, shook or upset or just flustered sometimes too easily or too prematurely. And then I would maybe forget my next step or my next, uh, series of what I wanted to do, you know, and I think the mental game, you know, when we break down kind of what we, what, as a competitor, what we're trying to do is, you know, catch, catch the most fish we can. But a lot of that isn't just skill. A lot of it is, you know, I say it's 50%, 50% luck, 50% skill. And, you know, 50%, I know it's three fifties, but fifty percent luck, 50% skill and, you know, 50% technique, you know, there's, there's this, third percentage of it that you, you got you obviously need to know what you're doing but you all you also have to have a strategy and a good mind game and you need to have luck too you know so there's there's more aspects to it than just being good yeah got it and so once you started competing and accumulating points how long did it take you to qualify for fly fishing team usa um that so fly fishing team usa is a, a two-year cycle um it was the first and second time I tried, I'm, I made Team USA both times. Um, and there's there's some really good anglers out there, man. There's some really good dudes on that team, really good um, role models. And just, um, you know, people have inspired me to, to keep pushing. And, and they're very willing to share their knowledge. And it's, it's, it's good to be a part of a good group like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I've interviewed or had been able to spend time with a lot of guys that have fished competitively and, you know, almost all of them talk about, you know, how collaborative it is, which I think a lot of folks wouldn't think that being competitive would create a collaborative environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it, competition is a weird thing. You know, a competition, a lot of people cringe when they even hear that. Like, how can fly fishing be competition? It's supposed to be fun. Well, I... 
enjoy that aspect of it. I enjoy the fun of fly fishing, but I also enjoy the fun of, of being in a, a, a competing too. You know, some people like competing in chess. Some people like watching the office. I like competing with fly fishing. That's just what I like. You know what I mean? Um, but I, it's just weird because some, sometimes you hear competition and it just makes people kind of go, Ugh, like, Ugh, how can, how that doesn't make sense. You know? Yeah, but I just wanted to share that with people. You know that uh, I I understand both sides of it, and um, if it's done properly and done in in love and conservation and respect, it absolutely can be beneficial for a lot of people and a lot of the regular anglers that don't compete too. Because you know we learn a lot of techniques because we push ourselves to be the best in every situation. So you get a beat that's flat or a beat that you're not used to fishing. You know we can push our brains and our abilities to figure out how to catch fish in those situations. And then that can be, you know, on the next podcast and, you know, that's then your anglers are learning from it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot you can get out of those things that some people might think are negative or, you know, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, you know, you know, obviously you've competed a lot, not just for, you know, qualifying for the team and being on the team and being around it after you were on, on the team, but, you know, can you share a couple of really memorable competition moments and maybe, you know, what you took away from them, whether it was something personal or whether it was a, a skill that you, or a solution that you put in your, your, ta- your toolkit for, for the future? Yeah, there's, I mean, my gosh, from, from the day one till, you know, last time what last time out that there's always something you learn there's always those aha moments or like those groundbreaking moments but once you kind of get you know your technique solidified and you start catching you, you know you start getting to be decent at what you do um there might not be these like like ground crazy like oh my gosh like that technique like the secret technique that made you catch Majillion fish, you know. Sometimes all it is is just a small percentage or a very little, minute aspect that is that groundbreaking thing, and that's what I, you know, a lot of people sometimes I don't think understand. You know, it might just be the fly thinking at a different, a different rate, or you know, a casting with a different rod angle, or you know, those little things sometimes is that huge aha moment. But if I could take away one thing, was never give up that was probably what I would, would say was my biggest moment was just never give up. Cause there's so many times where in a competition or whatever, I look downstream and Michael Bradley's just smoking under the net or whatever. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I'm done. You know, but you never know what's going to happen. You always, you always just stick it, stick with it. You have fun. You make the most of it. If you can keep that attitude, you know, if I can keep that attitude, just have fun. then I, then I did well. It's whenever I push myself too hard or lose that fun, then that, and then it becomes what it shouldn't be to me. You know, if I could just, just don't give up and just have fun with it. I would say that was kind of my biggest, biggest moment. Yeah. It kind of relates back to what you were talking about earlier, probably about how that probably helps you keep your focus. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 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 You know, don't get shook out. You would hook a fish and, you know, bring it, bring it right to my net and it'd fall off right that last moment or, you know, I'd, I'd hook a fish and then lose my whole rig in the tree and then look downstream and, someone had a fish in the net and it's just like, ah, you know what I mean? I remember this one time, oh geez, it was such a, it was such a fun battle. There's this one time up on, um, I know I shouldn't, couldn't say, I can't say battle. It's a fun, it's fun just session. You know, I was up, we were, we were fishing the national championship in, um, Lake Placid, New York. Um, awesome, 
fly shop up there called Hungry Trout. Really good dudes. If any of the listeners go in that area, absolutely stop and check out that fly shop. They were our, our host fly shop. Um, you're fishing just behind the Hungry Trout, Hungry Trout there on the Asabu. And I remember, man, every time I looked down, Ken Crane had, had a fish in the net. And Jesse Holler, uh, one of the uh, Orvis, awesome dude that works for Orvis, good friend of mine, he had a fish in the net. Man, I, I swear, but every time I, I'd land one, he'd land one, Ken would land one, I'd land one, Ken. So it was like, you know, back to back to back. If you'd miss a fish, you know, you drop behind one fish. And it was just, it was just so fun, you know, just so cool. And I remember we, we each ended up, I think like, it was like, I won't say how many fish, but one had one more, one had one less. You know, it was just like, you know, back to back to back numbers. And it's, it's just so, it's just cool. You know what I mean? It's, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's just a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know kind of as you've kind of progressed and gotten away from fishing for the U.S. team that you're now the co-owner of Trout Yeah Guide Service. And, um, you know, I know that that you specialize in Euro nymphing. And I was kind of curious, you know, after you were done competing, what made you want to start a guide service? Um, You know, to share definitely the techniques that, that I've been blessed to learn. Um, you know, I fish with, like I said, there's these amazing dudes. I mean, George Daniel, Lance Egan, Devin Olson. I mean, my gosh, was, you know, I've been lucky enough to fish with those guys and, and lucky enough to fish with a few individual world champions and fish different countries and see these experiences. And, you know, and, and that's, it's too good to hold in and it's too good to not be shared. Um, but honestly, how it kind of started was me being out there on the water and just seeing people and walking up to them and be like, hey, like, try this or try that. And then it kind of quickly grew to people coming into the fly shop I work at um, and being like, Hey, do you want to take me or like, can we go? Like, I want to learn. And it kind of like, it was more of, it almost needed to happen than me wanting to do it in a sense too. You know, and, and it's, it's worked out really good. And I've done it. I've been guiding, I think it's like five or six years now. Um, Trout. Yeah. Is, you know, my and Joe Clark's kind of guide service. Um, and we, we guide Pennsylvania, uh, and it's it's just awesome teaching people. Teaching pe- people come from all over the country. We've had just the, some of the best anglers come fishing with us, and, and we're very very honored to have those people, and very blessed to have all those people reach out and want to go with us. Great. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you say that because I mean, I can literally, you know, while you're talking, I can think of probably like six to eight guys that have guide services that are former competitors for probably exactly that reason. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's more of people want to learn and we want to share this knowledge. It's, it, like I said, it's too good to hold in. And, um, you know, it's, and that's part of being doing the competition. Like I said earlier, you, you learn that you have taken so much from the river in a, in a sense. The river has given you so much, you've got to give back. And one of the ways to give back is giving back to people. And I think that's important. Yeah, very neat. And, you know, even for, you know, kind of mere mortals like me that, don't competitively fish and we i don't euro nymph all the time you know can you kind of give folks a few ideas of some of the competitive elements that you know an average angler should put in his um or her fishing arsenal yeah i think you're coming up with a game plan coming up with a game plan on your attack for that day like what are you going to do um, you know, like i said some people that that's not in their their book of, of wants, they just want to go and sit on the bank and you know watch a fish rise, which is sometimes I like doing that too. But if I you know if I'm fishing a new stream or something and and my goal is to catch some fish, I might go in with 
you know, wanting to do this technique and then, um, you know, have a backup and then a backup to that. And so when do I switch or when do I know what to do? I kind of let the fish tell me what they're doing. What I mean by that is like, you know, I'll make Nick a drift to a fish and it doesn't eat. And then I'll, I change and fish doesn't eat. And then maybe it eats on the 10th drift. Um, and you know, that fish told me something. It wasn't active. It didn't eat on my first drift. Uh, maybe I needed to like work for that fish more. So that makes me change my game plan so I can slow down and fish my water differently or whatever, you know? And just, I think that kind of strategy, strategy is big. The second thing I think is understanding, um, where fish sit and reading water. That's, but man, that's, it's hard to teach things like that. It takes, it does take a lot of time on the water. And what I tell people is, um, you know, there's nothing, there's no better teacher, no greater teacher than just a fish eating your fly, you detecting the bite, you setting the hook and catching the fish. Like there's no greater teacher out there. You know, the more you do that, the more that positive reinforcement with the technique. So when you do the technique right and you see that positivity come from it, then you really just grow and you start learning how the fish act and what they do. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if that kind of answered the question. I kind of went off on a tangent, but <laughs> You can tell I'm passionate about that. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, too, that you say that because, I mean, I, I think, too, one of the real challenges, particularly for those of us that don't get to fish as much as we want to, is, you know, even if you fish the same water, if you're fishing it at different times of the year, it fishes completely differently, right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a project we'll talk about later I'm working on, but I have, like, a photo of me fishing this run, um, and I, like, put where I caught the fish at the winter time. And then like in the summertime, I put the same photo and I put like spots where I caught the fish and oh my gosh, like you'd be like, dude, they're just in those, those winter lot, those winter spots, you know, the soft water. And then in the summer, they're everywhere. I mean, the fish can be caught anywhere. Yeah. You know, it's crazy how they spread out and it's, you know, but that's, we're getting too deep down the rabbit hole there. Uh, fair <laughs> enough. We won't go any further there, but. Cause but, I can go too far. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, I, I think a lot of people. Um, you know, when they think about Euro nymphing, think that like everything really re revolves around strike detection. And, and I, I feel like, and, and you and I've had this conversation before, like I think of competitive anglers as like the Grand Prix drivers of fly fishing, right? And, and there's so much more than just driving the car. And I was wondering if you could kind of tease out some of those things for our listeners. Well, there's a lot. I mean, it, it, there, there's a lot, but it's also, um, once you kind of get the few things, it's like habit. I know we talked about habit recently. Um, you know, once, once you get that habit down, it becomes almost second nature. A lot of the things, um, but yeah, strike detection is, is a big part of it. Actually, you know, speaking of, of that, it's, it's, it's impossible to at times to detect all the bites. Um, and even in just strike detection alone, um, you know, sometimes what we'll do is even just set the hook when we think fish are going to be in that area. Does that, if that makes sense? Sometimes we're like a fish should sit there. Yeah. It's like fishing soft tackles and lifting right in front of the boulder. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, and, and there's there, everything you can go to, for example, just picking that topic of strike detection, <laughs> everything you could go like down that rabbit hole and down that, okay. Like hook setting, you know, like how do you set the hook? Do you use your arm, do you use your wrist, do you, you know, when do you do what? Tippet size, you know, uh, rod angles, um, weight of flies. There's so much to it, but it's not that much. I know it sounds like a ton, but once you kind of have your 
series of methods down and you get that confidence, which I think confidence is reading water and confidence and, and coming up with a strategy and having good, some decent, um, you know, technique, you're going to catch fish. Not that hard. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, but there's a lot of other stuff, you, you know, where let's just say the average angler you know, doesn't need to be as efficient as a competitive angler, but there are things that you guys do that will allow someone like me to spend more time fishing. You know, it's kind of like that old uh, guide yarn where it's like, well, dude, if you're, if your rig's not in the water, you certainly aren't going to catch any fish. Um, right. And so like, I, I think I've talked to you before, like, for example, um, you know, I think, you know, Devin's put out a video at this point because so many people were interested in the way he rigs his net. Right. Or the way you guys organize your fly boxes or the way that you guys get good at just a few knots. Right. Yeah. That type absolutely. of stuff. It, right. It, so even, for example, you know, when fishing's good and you're catching a fair number of fish, like kind of what you're saying about the net thing. If you're fishing two flies, one of those flies is getting tangled in the net. And if you can get away with fishing one, that's like, you know, if you catch X amount of fish and it takes. 15 seconds on tangle each time or, or that fish is eating that top fly and that bottom one's just wrapping, you know, wrapping heck around your leader. Like, you know, it might take two minutes. And if you do that 10 times, 10 fish, that's 20 minutes. But you know, if you're catching numbers, you can switch to one fly. You might not get any tangles at all. You know, just those little thought process. But even you asking me that, I take a lot of that stuff almost for granted and I don't even think about it. You know what I mean? And sometimes in a way. Yeah, I do. But, you know, like looking at like, like, like the way, you know, you guys are very versatile. Right. And so the kind of the, the backpack chest pack, and then, you know, I'm a huge fan of the golden trout lanyards, but like seeing that process, right. Where, you know, for people that don't understand, they're really awesome. I'll drop a link to them in the show notes, but you know, lots of clips, uh, for, you know, uh, forceps, all that sort of stuff, but, you know, magnets to hold flies. But then the great thing is it's got a flip open CNF fly box, right. Where you can kind of pre-select what you want to fish. Uh, yeah, so, we call that a working box. Yeah. And so I think all those little things, right. Where, um, you know, for lack of a better metaphor, we don't have to drive the Ferrari, but you know, we can be really, really good at driving the Honda Accord. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, sometimes I like driving the Honda Accord too that has rust, you know, hanging out. And- <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I mean, it's stuff like that. Like you were talking about the droppers. Like to me, that's the reason that everybody should put one of those rubber nets uh, on their on their net, right? Because if you're not fishing barbless, like and you're wrestling like an 18 pheasant tail dropper, you know, out of your bag with your forceps. And to your point, you can burn time, right? Oh, goodness. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. For sure. And, and so, you know, we've touched on this a little bit, um, but, you know, one thing I've noticed about competitive anglers is they're super process driven, right? Um, and that's not to say that you guys all fish the same process, but in terms of, no. you know, like how you prepare, um, you know, the way you gear up every day, the way you approach the water. Um, and that's, and, you know, and even like saying like laying a visual grid out and fishing the grid, right? All of those mm-hmm. things. Um, you know, I've kind of uh, seen and inferred from talking to you and others, you know, what is your general process look like when you go out for a day on the water? Well, um, my process definitely, just like you said, uh, it, it can be different every day and it, it, it changes kind of like what I said earlier with what the fish want. I might come in with wanting to do you know, fish two nymphs 
and X amount of tippet. And then I see the fish act differently and I might need to adjust accordingly. Maybe I need to go to fish a dry dropper and the fish are suspended. And I didn't realize they were and dry dropper might you know, be more productive in, in, in that water type. Um, no, but process comes with, to me, process comes with fishing a lot of hours in the water and having that positive reinforcement on when to do what. And um, a lot of anglers ask me uh, the question, like, how do I become better? And that's kind of a part of what you're asking in a sense. And I always tell them, you know, fish new rivers. Fish, try to not fish the same spot on the same river all the time. You know, although that can be good to learn those fish fish different streams, you know, fish tailwaters and limestone streams and mountain streams if you can. And that'll give you a more well-rounded understanding of just more trout in general, where, you know, wild trout are going to feed different than stock trout are going to feed different than rainbow versus browns versus high pressure versus, you know, water clarity. You know, all those factors are going to change what I'm going to do and change how I'm going to do it. You know, so it, it might sound, you know, I'm making it sound really magical, but sometimes it's just not. Sometimes I just cast a fly into the water and catch a fish too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know. <laughs> and so do you keep a fishing journal to kind of help you sort all that stuff out? Um, you know, you know, it would make sense that I would, but, you know, I used to kind of do that. And I, I'll do audio notes once in a while. If something was like really strange I saw or like I did something out of the ordinary and it was work, I'll do audio notes just on my iPhone and like, you know, do a little voice memo. But I don't really, I just kind of try to take all those little bits of knowledge, kind of backlog in my brain. And, you know, when you, when your brain is focused on like living a little, you know, family, (laughs) fly fishing, (laughs) there's a lot of brain capacity for just holding a lot of fly fishing in. So (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. It's so funny because Joe, like, show me a photo of, like, you know, 10 years ago, a brown trout. And I'm like, oh, I remember that exactly. I was standing on Spring Creek. I remember it, like, you know, Randy ran down the trail and caught that fish on, you know, pheasant tails on the swing. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember exactly. Like, you know, you know, thousands of fish in between here and there. And I still remember that random one, you know. It's like, and my wife's like, when's my birthday? And I'm like, oh, shoot, is that November or December? <laughs> and no, actually, it's August, I think. You know, <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, I don't know. We're just nuts. Yeah, it's interesting how people can remember stuff like that. But, you know, I think it's interesting, too, because I think, you know, there's, um, you know, so much in terms of like, you know, kind of what you're talking about a little bit is like understanding fish behavior, you know, whether it's, you know, wild versus stocked or what type of water they're in, but also, you know, trying to understand, you know, bug behavior, right? Yeah. Um, cause it's interesting, you know, cause I think we make it too hard, right? We, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we've been extolling the virtues of Euronymphing here for the better part of a half an hour, but, um, there are probably some negative things, Josh, any hop out at you? Absolutely. With everything good there, unfortunately there is, there's negative aspects to it. Um, you know, I think number one, no matter what we do, we need to protect our fish and our resource. And I know you can just say that we have to take action and actually do it. You know, and, and, and some of that is educating, especially our anglers out there who are making a difference and especially our guides and influencers in the nest. And I don't like using that word, but you know, people who do influence people to try these techniques and go out and, and do it. You know, I, I think that there needs to be some sort of 
education on, you know, how to handle fish, water temperatures, you know, not fish for spawning fish, you know, just, just kind of like things that are common sense, but I don't, I think are forgotten about or uh, like, for example, just a, a, a young kid the other day was fishing the, and, um, you know, it's pretty, water's pretty warm, you know, came into the fly shop and I said, you know, that water's pretty warm. Like, you know, we, we try not to fish above 67. And he's like, well, well, I don't understand why. And, you know, and I think that's the thing. Just knowing that you can't fish at 67, maybe people kind of fluff that off. But then if they understand, you know, that the water doesn't hold oxygen in those fish, you swim away, but might die later, you know, and that might be like, oh, wow, like, okay, that makes more sense. Don't do it, you know. And I think that with your own thing, getting back to why I think your own thing makes that even more of an issue is because the technique catches more fish. It just does. I mean, it's plain, it, it just catches more fish. So we have more fish being caught. That means more fish could, you know, could be mishandled or could be, you know, not cared for in the best of manner. And I think that, you know, in doing so with great fishing technique comes great responsibility to take care of those fish. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, probably the, the next uh, iteration on that is, you know, for people not to blow other people up on social media and to try to help them understand. Cause I you know, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, you, you know, they're generally, um, you know, I'd say more often than not, people are doing things just because they don't know. Um, I think so too. I don't think it's, yes, I, I agree. Uh, and I do see that a lot of people, it's just, there's just too much meanness out there. You know, I think teaching through example is, is better than being, you know, just rude to people. You know, I don't, I, we try not to be like that. We try to just love through our actions and, and show what we do through actions instead of just belittling people. I don't think that's very nice. Yeah, it's not conducive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, all right, let's, let's get off that. Let's move to something more. <laughs> we'll be, we'll, we're going to move on to the next positive thing. So, yeah, so, you know, in addition to your guide service, um, you know, you also, uh, co-host clinics across, across the country. And these are separate from the youth team clinics. Um, and I know you just had one that just literally, I think, filled up in 48 hours. You want to tell folks a little bit uh, about the clinics, kind of who they're for and kind of the general format? Yeah, man, the clinics are cool. There's, they are, let's just say, um, you know, U.S. youth clinics for adults. I mean, we're just teaching kind of similar things that we teach you know, the, the, the young men that go over and you know, fish in world championships and have done very, very well. Um, we're teaching, you know, just, not just, not just your and thing, but, you know, techniques in that range to catch fish and it's on the water. Um, we're doing them in different states and how we're choosing where we're doing them is we're just choosing the states that we can get guide licenses in and they're not like crazy expensive because some states are, are really expensive to get licensed. So that's kind of how we're choosing where we're doing it. You know, we're doing the clinics, um, so our next one is in Connecticut. That like it just filled up, and um, hopefully uh, we did one in um, Oklahoma. Looking to do their one again, and maybe Missouri. But if anyone listening is interested in you know helping us set one up, or you know, so I have uh, Jess Westbrook from the Mayfly Project. He's kind of the, the brains behind the operation, and um, another partner is uh, Gordon Vanderpool. He is a coach of the USU team as well as I am. He is from North Carolina. He is a a full-time guy down there in the Smokies, awesome angler, uh, great, great, great dude, just good, good guy. If anyone's in the, in that area, definitely look him up for for a trip if you you know you want to fish the Smokies because it's beautiful down there. Yeah, and he's a fellow metalhead too. 
you know what he is. Yeah. yeah he is for sure. Um, yeah, he's yeah. a very fishy dude. I've fished with him guys. And you know, if you're over kind of, uh, in the far Western part of North Carolina, like around Cherokee or Franklin, you should definitely look him up. But, you know, Josh, are these events one day, two day, how long do they last? So far we're trying to do like, uh, uh, Jess actually came up with the platform. It's pretty cool. It's, you know, lodging and stuff and on trying to pick rivers that are going to be fun and decent for catching fish. Um, and it's, it's usually two days, you know, food and everything is included, but it's just kind of something different. We're trying out to get out to anglers that won't come to us. Cause you know, uh, obviously travel is expensive and COVID and this and that. And, you know, I've, we've luckily had a lot of anglers that have traveled and fished and on a guide trip, but I really enjoy the, the setting of like the clinic setting and, and teaching groups. Um, it's sometimes, you know, being one-on-one obviously is, is going to give you more one-on-one time, but the groups are just so fun to be with. You know, we just have such a fun time and, and it's not just me teaching it, you know, Gordon and Jess too. So, you know, we have three anglers out there and the way we do it, like maybe Gordon will talk to me doing a technique or vice versa. It's just kind of a fun way to do it. And I'm just, just have a blast teaching that way. Absolutely. And so can you just kind of give folks kind of, you know, we don't need the, I guess the chapter and verse of the syllabus, but kind of what are you covering in those two days? Um, you know, a lot of urine nymphing techniques and some dry dropper techniques, um, just kind of figuring out the water and catching fish, just our thoughts on it and how we do it and how we approach, approach the water. And yeah. Got it. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we've touched on it a little bit. So you're one of the regional coaches for the U.S. youth fly fishing team. And, you know, I think they're what, they're four regional coaches. Is that right? Um, three. Yeah, I think three. Three or four. Brian, Brian Kimmel, me, and uh, Gordon, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so, maybe on this one. Yeah. And so, how long have you been involved with the youth team? Um, I've been there, I think it was at least six years at this point. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. And so what do you do in your role as a regional coach? Um, well, I'm regional coach. Uh, what we'll do is, um, you know, I'll help. So the head coach is Gordon and we have a, a very nice, very, very hardworking board that works behind the youth team that just is incredible volunteers. And that's the thing, everything, everyone on youth, the, the, the coaches and instructors are all volunteer. We all just do this because we enjoy it. Um, you know, it does take up some time, but it's, it's so awesome to be able to share this stuff with these kids. But, okay. So responsibility wise, um, I am also the manager besides Calvin. Um, but Calvin is the, the brains behind the operation. I'm not, uh, not very good of a manager. I'm more of a, you know, on the water kind of teaching the kids. That's where, that's where my passion is. You know, I, shoot, I can't keep my paperwork straight at home. I can't, you know, <laughs> but, you know, so I, I'm more of the, the, the technique, you know, let's, let's figure stuff out fishing. Um, and, and, uh, you know, couldn't do it without Calvin and, and Tucker and, and the other, you know, the board there, they are the backbone, you know? Uh, yeah, very, very cool. And so, you know, for anyone who's listening, um, that's, I guess, 18 give or take and under uh or the parent of someone who's that age who who they think they might be interested in trying out for the team what does that process look like so what we do is is clinics around the country before and you know because of covid everything's still kind of unfortunately not normal but um you know we would do clinics like new york pennsylvania north carolina from out west and what we do is two three days of 
you know, between 12 and 24 um, participants at these regional areas and the best water of the area um, with some of the best coach, coaches in the United States, like George will come help, Joe Humphreys, um, Deb and Olson, Michael Bradley, you know, just, just, I can name it forever, but you know, these, these world-class world anglers teaching, um, you know, these, these youngsters how to catch fish. And, you know, I kind of got involved to teach technique, but there's way better than me out there that could teach technique. For me, it was more to kind of share, um, more, you know, share more than just fishing, share, you know, how to respect the, respect your, you know, nature, how to respect your fellow angler, how to respect your gear, you know, just making these kids be, you know, helping them to see, maybe someone they look up to be, you know, a good role model and someone that they can, you know, you know, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, you want good positivity, you know, good reinforcement on not just fishing. It's more than that for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's, it's using fly fishing as a way to kind of teach life skills, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so did that kind of take some of the, I don't know if there was any pressure, but if there was any pressure kind of from going from you being a competitive guy to helping people become competitors, did that make no. it a little bit easier for you or was it harder? Yeah, no, it's easy, man. I, I just, I love every moment of it. I, I just love, love teaching and love being out there and sharing that passion for sure. And I hope that the people who have gone, you know, gone with me feel that way too after our days together. Very neat. And, you know, I always ask all of our guests to share if they've got any, you know, projects or news that they want to share with our listeners. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to kind of, I really haven't told really anybody. Um, I was approached to work on um, my first <laughs> attempt at a book and I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. It's been, it's been a fun, a fun process, but it is challenging. It is hard to, um, you know, write a tech. Okay. So I'll put you in, you know, a little bit of my brain here. How do I put the angler in the situation, you know, be able to write that, then be able to read that text and be in the situation and then understand the, the technique to be able to succeed. You know, it's just, it's challenging, but it's really exciting. I'm excited to be a part of this, you know, this, this challenge. And yeah, it's an honor actually. Yeah. Very neat. And so you're working on that with Jay Nichols, right? Yeah, yeah, this was a stackable book. Um, yeah, I hope it'll come out in uh, a little over a year. So yeah, I look forward to it, and I hope you know, hope it goes over well, and people enjoy it, enjoy my experience. Yeah, very neat. And can you kind of share kind of what part of um, competitive uh, angling this deals with, or do you need to kind of keep that a secret for now? Um, I'm not sure exactly how much I could say, but I it's just going to be more of some techniques and maybe a little bit of experience and. Uh, Hopefully it's, it, people love it. Yeah. Very neat. Yeah. So, you know, 2023 fly fishing show circuit, you're going to be the guy signing books. (laughs) Maybe not signing, maybe hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you better, you better bring your Sharpie dude. I'm telling you. Oh, no way. (laughs) Um, well, Well, listen, before I let you hop this evening, why don't you let folks know where they can find more information about, uh, your guide service and the U S youth team and kind of the best way to catch up with you. Yeah, so um, you know, Trout Yeah is our guide service, like you said, um, Trout Y E A H dot com. If you want a sticker, send me a uh, an email, and I'd love to send you some free stickers. Um, 
the usufflyfishingteam.com if you want to check that kind of stuff out. Uh, I just once in a while put up a YouTube video, and I do use Instagram and Facebook, but I, you know, it's not my favorite thing. But try to, you know, it, what I try to tell people is, um, I try to be very connectable. If people want to reach out and ask questions, then my phone rings off the hook probably too much. But I, lo- I, I love being immersed in it. Um, you know, so if people have questions or want to like ask something or, you know, reach out to me, my personal cell phone number is on my website. Um, you know, and I just love taking questions and, and learning from, from anglers and teaching what I can. Well, very neat. And I will drop all that stuff in the show notes. Beautiful. Thanks so much. Oh, you bet. Well, listen, Josh, I really appreciate you, uh, carving an hour away from the drum kit to talk to me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that drum kit's so dusty down in the base. I feel bad for her, man. I just want to take it out, polish it off. But you know, now that um, you know, I've not too many people know, but I my my uh, first son was born in April, so drumming is out at this point. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'll be payback at some point for him keeping you awake in the middle of the night. Oh my goodness! Or he'll just play it, and I'll be you know. I sometimes I can't believe my parents like was okay with that. I mean. I'd be in this little concrete basement, my my dad's house and my mom, and we would have two full stacks, you know, 400 watts or whatever, how many watts, and 2,000 watts of base, two full base stacks, you know, like, just blaring. Like, I'm like, my goodness, like, how did you, how are you okay with that for so many years? <laughs> my dad's like, I recently asked him, he's like, I actually liked it. My mom was like, oh, it drove me nuts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I just don't know. And, and my wife, or my, my girlfriend, but my wife now at the time, I would, we would play music. I would open up this little divider wall between, like, you know, the basement and the garage. My wife would be there on the couch. Dad asleep. Like, how, you know, how the heck? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, well, uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to, uh, to dust off the drum kit soon. I really appreciate you taking the time, Josh. Absolutely. I, I, I appreciate you. Thanks for letting me be a part of this so much. Thanks. Anytime. Take care. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend and please subscribe and leave us a rating and review in the podcatcher of your choice. Tight lines, everybody.